Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show. Forgot what day it was. I was up so late watching Monday Night Football and absolutely every post-game Monday Night Football event you could imagine. You know, we win one of those Monday Night Football games about once every decade, whether you like it or not, Erson. Okay? We haven't even hosted a Monday Night Football game since 2014. Aaron, where were you in, or we um, since 2018 was the last time we hosted one. Hadn't won one since 2014. Aaron, where were you in 2014? In Minnesota. In Minnesota. Were you still in school? Had no. you finished yet? No, I, I was out. I had my job. All right, you were out. Okay. Erzin, you weren't working here yet. Nope. You were um, still under the, uh, the the false notion that the Des Moines Register was going to grant you bylines in 2014. Oh, no, I was well aware they were. Oh, you had, you, you had no. been healed of, 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 of no, such well. affliction? You had finally figured out the title religion editor at that, the Des Moines Register yeah, yeah. basically is another way of saying stapler guy. You got to yeah. figure that one out by 2014. Yeah. You held on for as long as possible. Keep hope alive. You did it for as long as you possibly could, but by 2014, 14, you had figured out, you know, after three years of being religion editor and them not publishing any pieces about religion, I, I'm kind of thinking maybe this is a false flag. Fair? Yeah, that and actually hoping I was convicted when I was arrested. Sure. The, the fact that they tried to get you uh, falsely convicted yes. of a crime and then tried to get you to plea to a crime you did not commit. Correct. Yeah, that, that's, there another, hints. that's another hint. But, you know, sometimes we're really stubborn. You know, the heart wants what the heart wants. Obviously. All right. So we've got a jam packed show for you today. Comedian JP Sears. We've been trying to get him on the show for a couple of years now. And we think it's finally going to happen at the bottom of this hour. We are looking forward to that. All right. Ken Cuccinelli is going to join us to talk about what's going on with the immigration issue because no one knows it better than him. He essentially was the immigration czar for the former president, Donald Trump. And now he is backing another candidate for president against Trump, Ron DeSantis. So we'll get into that with him coming up in the next hour of the show. And Fake News or Not, presented by my daughter, Anastasia. She will bring that to our attention. Uh, The final segment of the program for Pop Culture Tuesday. Saw a couple of movies over the weekend while we were in Michigan in between events. Had a chance to get out and see Kevin Serbo's Miracle in East Texas, as well as Five Nights at Freddy's, which... Looks like it may be the most successful film Blumhouse has ever produced. Looking at the uh, the opening weekend, so we'll get into those two films for overtime today at Pop Culture Tuesday. And if you aren't yet a Blaze TV subscriber and you want to become one, now is the right time. You know, seven bucks a month, you get both the brand new Blaze News, ad free, censorship free, big tech free. And a subscription to Blaze TV as well. And if you're already a subscriber to Blaze TV, you'll get Blaze News as part of your subscription. So now's a great time. BlazeTV.com slash Dace is where you want to go. That's where you'll be able to watch the overtime later today at BlazeTV.com slash Dace. And with that, it is time for Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by there's an alternative out there. Florida governor and GOP presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis went on the Patrick Bet David podcast yesterday and clearly articulated why the United States is in decline and what to do about it. I think a, a big part of it is the left. Anytime there's any any vacuum, they just they get in. So they're in 
education, bureaucracy, now corporate America with things like ESG Mm -hmm. and the whole DI agenda. So they corrupt these institutions, and then that ends up being weaponized against regular Americans. And so in Florida, we beat them on the institutional level, and no other Republican can say that they've done that because I understand that you can win a superficial policy fight, and you need to win those in the legislature or whatnot. But if the left controls every institution in our society, then ultimately uh, it's a losing proposition. So Florida, I think the reason we're the free state of Florida, yes, no income tax, yes, COVID freedom, all that important, but we have beat the left on the institutional level. Meanwhile, there's this. Very big hello to a place where we've done very well, Sioux Falls. Thank you very much, Sioux Falls. So, Sioux City, let me ask you. You say you would order the Defense Department to use special forces to inflict maximum damage I didn't on say drug that. cartels. No. People said I said that. Furthermore, I will order the Department of Defense to make appropriate use of special, special forces, forces to, to inflict, inflict maximum, maximum damage. damage. There's a man, Viktor Orban. Did ever, anyone ever hear of him? He's the leader of, right? He's the leader of Turkey. Fronts on both Russia. Hungary fronts on both Ukraine and Russia. Hungary fronts on both Ukraine and Russia. Arrest their leading political opponent, and leading by a lot, including Obama. I'll tell you what, you take a look at Obama and take a look at some of the things that he's done. This is the same thing. The country is very divided. And we did with Obama. We won an election that everyone said couldn't be won. That montage goes on for another two minutes. There's also this. Ron DeSantis has been the number one target of negative independent advertising expenditures of all 2024 presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Over $21 million has been spent attacking DeSantis, just shy of $20 million attacking Biden, and barely over $18 million attacking Trump. Trump's Make America Great Again Political Action Committee has spent nearly a million dollars attacking DeSantis, while spending not even $3,000 thousand dollars attacking Biden. The alternative is out there, folks. Moving on, Israeli Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu addressed the Western world yesterday and squashed the notion of a ceasefire with Hamas. Just as the United States would not agree to a ceasefire after the bombing of Pearl Harbor or after the terrorist attack of 9-11, Israel will not agree to a cessation of hostilities with Hamas after the horrific attacks of October 7th. Calls for a ceasefire are calls for Israel to surrender to Hamas, to surrender to terrorism, to surrender to barbarism. That will not happen. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible says that there is a time for peace and a time for war. This is a time for war, a war for our common future. Today we draw a line between the forces of civilization and the forces of barbarism. It is a time for everyone to decide where they stand. Israel will stand against the forces of barbarism until victory. I hope and pray that civilized nations everywhere will back this fight. In other news, Pfizer reported a net loss of $2.38 billion in quarter three. Revenue for the pharmaceutical giant is down 42% compared to last year. Oh, no. Anyway. In completely unrelated news, here's this tweet from ABC News. Older adults who received last year's COVID booster and high-dose version of the flu vaccine in the same visit may have a potential increased risk of stroke, according to a new FDA-funded study. The wife of new House Speaker Mike Johnson has taken down 
down the website of her Christian counseling company after the Huffington Post reported on documents on the website that compared homosexuality to bestiality and incest. And finally, comedian Ryan Long. In discussing America's involvement in the Israel-Palestine conflict, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham has made a plea to Congress saying he just wants one more war and then won't ask again after that, he promises. Graham then went on to say that he hasn't asked them for a war since Ukraine, which was like forever ago, and it doesn't even have to be a big one. He just needs a little something-something to keep him regular, and then he'll be out of their hair, hand to God. When the topic of de-escalation and the possibility of working towards an agreement for a ceasefire and the safe return of the hostages came up, Lindsey Graham stood up and said, and I quote, come on, man, don't do this to me, you're killing me here. It doesn't even have to be a full war, we can even go with a measly proxy. I just need a little taste. Come on guys, don't c block me. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> Heron's Montage is brought to you by First Cup Coffee, a Christian-owned Patriot Coffee Company that stands for core values, family, and building community across the nation with freshly roasted beans delivered in ground or whole bean texture pods and bulk 11 roast profiles available, sold in one-pound bags, shipped within days of being roasted. Go to firstcup.com and use code DACE to save an additional 10% on your order. And if you subscribe, save an additional 10% for the life of subscription. Firstcup.com, promo code DACE. Aaron, this is uh, Aaron approved, correct? Yes, it is. I had the John Hancock last week. That was the first one that I made. And then I made the uh, the Boston Common over the weekend. That was my weekend coffee of choice uh, all day Saturday. Both were really, really good. Right. Really good. Legitimately good. And Aaron, of course, you know you can trust him. Firstcup.com, use code DAY, save an additional 10% on your order when you do. Okay. Quick thought before I get into what I, what I want to discuss more in detail in the, from Aaron's montage today. Quick thought on Speaker Johnson's wife taking down the website for her Christian counseling company after it is revealed that it's actually a Christian counseling company, that it views... Um, all sexual activity outside of one man and one woman in marriage as ordained by the scriptures to be sinful and doesn't necessarily rank them on what is more or less sinful, but every sexual activity is mentioned. If you read the statement, fornication's mess and message mentioned, everything is mentioned. Okay. Um, and she took it down and I'm, I'm, I'm trying here. I, I want everybody to know I'm, I don't know this guy. So I'm vetting him in real time. And he has said a lot of things I like, but I don't know. He's been in Congress for seven years. I remembered it this time, not seven terms. This is, by the way, this is how nondescript he's been in Congress. I, I couldn't remember if it was seven terms or seven years. I had no idea because he's essentially done nothing. You, you ask people what he's done in Congress, you'll get two answers. Um... Or you ask people what he's done politically, you'll get two answers. One is he was Trump's attorney uh, during one of the impeachments and then his work as an ADF attorney. Okay. But I mean, what has he done in Congress? Like what legislation has he fought for? What core key battle did he fight for? I, I cannot think of one. And so, you know, we're sitting here vetting this guy in real time because this November 17 deadline is coming up here. After November 17th, basically all budget leverage and there's not much of it left after the deal kevin mccarthy crafted earlier this year but after november 17th it's basically all gone well steve they could come back next year folks for for the three of you that maybe just are new to this next year is an election year which means congress is going to do what 
The answer is simple. Nothing. <laughs> they're they're going to do nothing. Next year is an election year. They're going to do nothing. Nothing. So that's why next year doesn't count. I mean, if we can't get them to use the leverage of a government shutdown this year, you're sure as hell not going to get them to do it next year in an election year. So, so this is our, this is our window between now and November the 18th. And so we're looking for clues here. You know, for example, I like the idea of diverting money from Biden's IRS uh, program and having that be the funding you send to Israel. Now, you could even argue we don't need to send any funding to Israel. They are perfectly fine doing this on their own. Um, We stand with them as their ally. If any other external nations come in, then we can be a check and balance on that. But other than that, I think Israel's kind of got a handle on this and, and might actually be handicapped by us funding them because then we might think that we have a say in how far they are able to go. You see what I'm saying? But that's a separate debate than the point I'm raising right here. I I, I do like if you're going to take the other position, I like the idea that he proposed yesterday of diverting the funding from from Biden's IRS program into aiding Israel. Okay, I, I like that. That's your position of how we should handle standing with Israel. I like that idea. But you know, we have an existential fight coming up here in a couple of weeks. And we got a guy who says a lot about biblical worldview. And I've got people whose opinions I trust. I quoted one of them, my buddy Steve Noble down in North Carolina last week on the show. Remember who he's been a guest in his home. He swears by him. Okay. But I got to tell you, man, if I'm, tell me I'm wrong. I mean, puckering, the wife takes her website down. Does it instill a lot of confidence? You know? Because um, you never bow to the rage mob. Ever. Never. Can you think of a time bowing to the rage mob worked? And they said, you know what? Appreciate that. We're done here. Or they tend to say, oh, you did that? Well, let's see what else we can get you to push on. Let's keep going. That just didn't inspire a lot of confidence. Okay? That, you know... You have to, newsflash, if you're going to promote a biblical worldview in public, there's going to be opposition. Christ promises that. Yes. This is, newsflash, this is going to happen. And maybe when you've been a nondescript congressman for seven years, in a largely red state where even the Democrat governor signs pro-life legislation, you can't get a lot of Republican governors to sign. You don't understand this, or you haven't lived this, but it's true. If you're going to openly promote a biblical worldview, people will hate you for it. And the idea of, well, I'm just going to take my light and hide it under a bushel here and take, and take the, the counseling ministry website down. I don't know. Tell me I'm wrong. Oh, well, it's, it's worse. That's why I should have gone to Aaron first, but go ahead, Todd. <laughs> it's worse. Um, and this has a lot to do with what Bibi Netanyahu had to say. If, if you're asking us to cease hostilities, you're asking us to surrender. That's what happened by pulling down the website. Hmm. It's, it's a surrender. Steve, you spoke in broad uh, theological terms that are timeless. That that that's how we should have 
been acting with our Christian witness all the time. The reason I say it's worse is because specifically now in this moment, whereas 10 years ago we had the vagaries of, you know, the, we'll meet in the middle, the rubber band will bounce back, uh, the normies will... The add, red wave is coming. Something like that. No, 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 no. Yeah. But, but we actually have a proof of concept where where have we been successful, as successful as about any time in uh, Steve's and I adult memory. It's been the pushback on this kind of stuff. The, the, the use of the term groomer to push back in the schools, it continues to r- just rout the opposition. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We are winning with the messaging that is on that website. Yet you're pulling it down. That's why it's worse. It is it is simply not tactically aware. Uh, it's bad enough that you're not theologically aware. You're not even tech, but you're also not tactically aware of where you have been taking ground very recently. Aaron, this little light of mine, I'm going to pull it down. Uh, hide it under a bushel. Yes, I'm going to snuff it out. Um, why? That's my question. It's very Pensian. Yeah, it, I uh, hate to uh, say that, but it's very Pensian. Because here's here's the deal. I was I I still am I'm somewhere between. I, I think I'm I'm neither optimistic nor pessimistic about Mike Johnson. He comes out of the SBC, but he doesn't sound like the Russell Moore types. He defended Trump, but he doesn't seem like he's uh, you know a clown about it either. Those are kind of the two ditches that it seems the SBC is falling into. He doesn't seem to be that to me anyway, even though that's what most people bring up as far as his work in Congress. So I'm neither pessimistic nor optimistic. I just want to see what he does. But yeah, pulling this down, this is like Mike Pence coming out and and defending, uh, what was it, the pizza shop or maybe it was the ice cream shop Mm -hmm. in Indiana and Mm -hmm. then saying, oh, no, 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 Uh, well... Uh, we're going to pull back. We're not going to actually, yeah. you know, defend marriage. Yeah, that that's what it seems like. And and Todd is absolutely right. If if your description of of the list is 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 on there as well, it's not actually comparing homosexuality to be. It's just listing out all of the sexual perversions listed in the Bible. I I don't get why you do this, especially as Todd just pointed out. You're winning on these issues. You're winning. Uh, what what can you do? Again, we are surrounded by people. I feel like we fight harder for them than they fight for themselves. And that's a that's just a debilitating feeling. Because it's often true, actually. All right, I have a question to ask here from Aaron's montage in a moment, right after I tell you about our friends over at Eden Pure. In fact, let me find this. There's a note in my inbox from Jake. Hey, I was at my mom's for a birthday party in the basement. I noticed my mom had two Eden Pure thunderstorms plugged in as she explained she purchased from your show due to the musty basement smell, and she was impressed with their effectiveness. 
I explained to her I'd been on the fence as I have a smaller house with six cats and a dog, and I can't stand the kitty litter aroma that lingers every day. We've tried candles, cleaners, sprays. We've tried everything. I've literally prevented family and loved ones from entering the home at times. Very long story short, I borrowed one of her Eden Pures, got home, plugged it in, left to get dinner. By the time we got home and walked through the door, my jaw dropped. Zero smell of anything. Literally two to three hours, and that bad boy handled its business. I was blown away and I will be putting my order in. That is from Jake in Michigan. We have gotten a lot of these kinds of notes from folks like you that have tried the Thunderstorm Air Purifier Filterless. You'll never replace filters either out of time or out of pocket. Get a pack of three for under 200 bucks plus free shipping when you go to EdenPureDeals.com slash Steve. That's EdenPureDeals.com slash Steve and use the promo code Steve. EdenPureDeals.com discount code Steve. EdenPureDeals.com discount code Steve. If Donald Trump is the greatest threat to the system, that's what Ben Carson said the other day, right? When he endorsed Trump, uh, he's the greatest threat to the administrative state. Then there's a, that's a legitimate claim. I mean, they've, they've clearly gone out of their way to try to destroy him for how many moons now, right? Okay. But if, but if it's clear that moving forward, I mean, we're having the election of 2024, not the election of 2020, 2016, 2019, 2022. Moving forward in 2024 into the next generation, if it is so obvious that Donald Trump is the greatest threat to the system, then can someone answer for me why more money has been spent trashing Ron DeSantis than any other candidate in this cycle, including Donald Trump. Because the primary has been over since June. That's your answer? Wait. wait. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's my question. Can someone riddle me this, please? How is this possible? Well, first of all, Donald, he legitimately was a threat to the system. Which I just acknowledged. But but now the opposite is true. Now he is the system's guarantee that the system perpetuates itself. Donald Trump got got played. He 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 got in there, saw beyond his wildest expectations what a threat he was to the system, and then he put things on cruise control, and it, during COVID became the system himself. He was the useful so, idiot of the system, frankly. Yeah. We're just let's just be honest. I know some of you can't handle it, and I don't care. The truth of the matter is he was the system's useful idiot. Yeah. So both sides, both Trump and the swamp, the system, what have you, both sides now recognize that you the genie has not totally been put back in the bottle simply because Trump has been compromised. It, it is obvious that they view DeSantis as the greatest threat to the system. Trump has become the, and Trump's acolytes have become the very thing uh, that they opposed uh, at one point in time in their obsession with Ron DeSantis. And that's exactly what it is. It is an obsession uh, that is every bit, as uh, a warrant is as the early obsession with Trump in terms of legitimately zero F's to give. I'm not afraid of the system. I won't play your game. I won't smoke your crack. I'm coming for you. That's real. But they're on DeSantis and they are scared of it. Aaron, is it possible 
just to take another viewpoint here, is it possible because of the extensive lawfare that they're waging against Trump that that's an entire different front of attack on him? That, uh, and so therefore, this is also, you know, going after whom they might view as mini Trump uh, should that be successful or Trump get defeated. So they've got meaning that they've already got another weapon against Trump. So they can now go ahead and go after DeSantis, too. Or do you agree with Todd that this is largely Trump and his team just going after DeSantis? Well, I, I think it's pretty, pretty obvious that this is most most of this expenditure is coming from the right. The, the right. I should put that in air quotes. It, the system isn't afraid of Donald Trump at all. If they were, they wouldn't be doing the lawfare. They would actually fear that he'd be able to to bring about retribution. This lawfare is actually coming, and it's not fair. It's not right. It's A lot of it is phony baloney. Most of it is phony baloney. 95% of it is is uh, phony baloney. The other 5% is living in a, uh, the grayest of areas. They're doing it because they're not afraid of him. I, I We have to get that in our heads. If they truly fear Donald Trump, which they did for about a month, which they did for about a month before they figured out, hey, he's not really all that. And they started, they started their scheming again um, back in 2017. The, this is all, this is all just jealousy. They want to talk about anything else other than record and issues, record and issues. Anything else, please, please, let us talk about anything else other than record and issues. And that's what that's there have been weeks is. of tweets about DeSantis's cowboy boots on Twitter. Weeks. Weeks of this. I, we, I mean, <laughs> how much time do you spend thinking about other dudes feet? Well, you'd have to ask Lindsey Graham uh, that kind of a question, because my answer would be exactly zero. Um, but that's just weird. It is odd. It, it is weird. It is odd. But there's a larger debate here, and Todd, you kind of touched on it a few minutes ago. And and I would urge the audience to go and watch, if you've not seen it yet, go watch Friday's Dace Group. And I think it's issue three. And we have our brilliant colleague, Oran McIntyre, on the show. And, and him and I go back and forth, kind of each of us exhibiting what, take away the grifting, which frankly is most of the right, so that's kind of hard. What's left after the grift? You know, a shell. But take that away, okay? For, for the few remaining people here trying to have a serious conversation, whether they're for Trump, DeSantis, or not, okay? I know plenty of people who are very serious that are trying, that, that are very pro-Trump, that are trying to have a serious conversation, just as I, I do with DeSantis. For those of us that are trying to have a serious conversation here about the future of the country, this is really the great debate, is there, is there a level of exposure? And Oran represents that view. And I used to, too. Oran represents that view. You heard him articulate it very well on the show here. I'd go, and you can make up your own mind which side you're on. Is there a level of exposure of corruption and rot gut that would, that would reach enough of a critical mass that the normies get off the big comfy couch? They, they leave the spider hole of comfortably numb. And join with us to topple institutions and systems. I used to think the answer to this question was yes. In fact, I thought the answer to this question was yes as recently as last November. Why was I so broken on that blaze set at last election night? 
because I was convinced, man, the chickens were coming home to roost. It was har- harvest time. That's what I thought. You guys remember how anxious I was to get down there and do the show, how confident I was? 100%er, man. That's not what happened. Normies didn't show. Or if they did, they, they didn't show for us. And so I, I'm left wondering, let's see, you, you can't afford a used car. You can't move out of your home. We've, we're importing terrorist drug dealer, drug mules, and human traffickers on the border. I mean, they masked and poisoned your kid. I mean, if you didn't rise up, they didn't rise up during COVID. And I suspect, boy, I, was, I thought maybe, maybe that's when I first started to wonder this whole exposure strategy. COVID made me think maybe this is never going to happen. But that was also maybe a once in a, in a, in an, in an epoch you know, moment in history and people were blindsided, right? Now they now cooler heads are prevailed. There's no mean tweets to kvetch about. Everything's out in the open about what the spirit of the age vis-a-vis the left wants to do to America. Then this election would show for sure. This last one, the normies were ready to rise up. Is that what it showed? No, no. It showed the opposite, which means what happened during COVID was like we said at the time, uh, not an outlier, but a harvest. The normies want to be ruled. So I don't believe in the third way anymore. I did for a long time. You know, and Oran makes that case on our show last week. Go back and listen to it. Make up your own mind. Um, and I kind of hope he's right. Hope I miss this. Hope I'm, hope I'm wrong on this argument. Because if I'm not, we're left with two options. One is we have to take governing seriously again. And we don't take it seriously right now at all. This primary is perfect evidence of it. Didn't, it really doesn't matter how, how many poor decisions Donald Trump made to some people in 2020. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many jobs he cost, how much money he printed. It just doesn't matter to people. We're not serious about governing on the right. Okay, well, if we're not serious about governing, make sure your kids are serious about being prepped for Antietam because that's the only other option. When you've got irreconcilable differences like this, we will settle, settle them, you know, in one battlefield or the other, a literal one or the political one. I hope I'm wrong, I, but I suspect that I'm not. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, and you know, I've got two questions for you. How are you paying for your health care? And how is that working out for you? If it's working perfectly, great. If not, listen closely. We may have a solution for you. It's a biblical one called Samaritan Ministries. It's a community of Christians paying one another's medical bills. It's a biblical, affordable healthcare sharing program. And because it's not insurance, there's no restrictive networks. Here's how it works. When a medical need arises, you choose the healthcare provider that's right for you. And you have a say in the treatment that you receive, even if it's unconventional or a natural approach. Send your medical bills to Samaritan Ministries and they'll notify fellow members to pray for you and send money directly to you to help you pay those bills. It could be more affordable than what you are paying now. And if it's the right fit, you can join anytime, even today. So check it out at SamaritanMinistries.org slash Steve Dace. That's SamaritanMinistries.org slash Steve Dace. Well, this is an interview that we have uh, been wanting to do for the last couple of years, so we're excited. He's got a children's book out right now called Chomp, 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 The Snap Fest Challenge. 
Uh, a Christian children's book that teaches kids how to deal with peer pressure, otherwise known as groupthink, and more. And we welcome comedian J.P. Sears to the program. Brother, it is good to have you with us. How are you? Hey, Steve, I'm doing pretty good. Um, dysfunctional, but I'm happy about it. Then you are like a lot of Americans, uh, dysfunctional and happy about it. So, um, <laughs> so or or maybe uh, content and happiness are two different things here. So yeah, they're dysfunctional and rageful about it. it. Just depends on you know which part of America. What does I'm curious in just spitballing here? Has there been an event or two over the last few years, JP, that would make you think there is a need? to reach the next generation about resisting um, mass form psychosis, peer pressure, um, groupthink um, before um, it's too late? Or did you just come up with this on your own and thought, you know, this is, a, this is an undiscovered country, a, a subject that needs fleshing out a little bit more, so I'll just take it upon myself. And yeah, I mean, there's been an, you know, uh, an event two or 300 that have motivated me to realize like, oh, people need to be reached in childhood and encouraged to do their own critical thinking. You know, in our adult world, we saw with the whole COVID, you know, it's a wonderful show they put on. We saw in the adult world how people just went along with group thinking. You know, in the adult world, what we call peer pressure, we call that obedience, compliance, go with the group think. But it's like, well, that's like the basic premise of peer pressure look how weak-willed people are and it's like i don't care what you do what i care about is you do what your will is to do but when people just squash that nobody's going to have a happy life we're going to have a weakened country so you know for me it was very apparent with covid and there's been so many other things and then we see these just warped dangerous gender ideologies being uh, trying to prey upon the minds of kids. And if kids aren't encouraged to think for themselves, then they'll just go along with that group think thing because they're intimidated not to. Let's talk about how this plays out for young people in this generation. And I've, I've used this scenario in several speaking engagements I've done around the country on this topic this year, JP, and I want to get your take on it. <clears throat> in previous eras of America, if you were in uh, the locker room after gym class or after practice and everybody's kind of getting changed, undressed, you're getting ready to shower, what have you, and you noticed another guy, you happen to look around, you noticed another guy's uh, uh, manhood or privates, you're probably keeping that to yourself, right? You're, well, yeah, you're probably keeping that to yourself. Common, probably a common thing. And then you're like, yeah, that's none of my business. I'm just going to move on here. Now what happens in this era is I jump on my Snapchat I jump on and I do a, or I do a TikTok video asking immediately, immediately I ask, does this mean that I'm gay? What will happen is uh, m the comments uh, on, my, on my Snapchat and on my TikTok will almost all be people telling me, maybe you're actually just a, a girl born in a boy's body. You're the wrong gender. If I begin to push back on this, all those people that I now are, I'm, I'm seeking affirmation via my social media accounts. That's where I get my identity, my affirmation, in most, in most cases, not from the church, not from a family. And so if I push back on it and say, I don't know, man, I've kind of felt pretty boyish most of my life. And not to mention, you know, until this brief moment, I, I kind of maybe was worried I was noticing chicks too much. You're immediately a bigot, a hater, 
What's wrong with you? Why don't you want to join this special club of people? And that entire echo, that entire echo chamber that you get your affirmation from, that you bounce ideas from at a, at a moment's notice, you, don't, you say every quiet part out loud now on social media. Keep every quiet part. That echo chamber turns on you right away, calls you bigot, every name in the book. That's that feedback loop. You don't want to defy it. So you start entertaining it. You let that into your subconscious. Maybe go talk to a guidance counselor. Before you know it, a few weeks goes by and you're 47 steps down the road of mutilating yourself because no one wants to be able to stand up and say, I, I just think maybe you guys are wrong because of the backlash of the group thing. Am I, am I painting a picture that's happening regularly in America today? And I, I think you paint an accurate picture. And to me, what you're painting the picture of is the body of humanity in America, it's infected with cancer and just like cells in the body that are cancerous. Uh, cancer just eats other parts of the body, consumes cells, takes over. And that's what the, what I, I mean, I don't think it's exaggerated to call it uh, what, that's what the cult does. It will consume you. It'll try to cancel you. It'll try to intimidate you, coerce you, shame you, uh, label you, all these things. I mean, that's cancer consciousness attacking people. Now, the so that happens all the time. We see that is a problem, but of course, like I also like to th consider like, what's the solution? One solution, easier said than done, is if we out, stop outsourcing our uh, identity, stop outsourcing our self-esteem, so, stop outsourcing our approval mm -hmm. to a largely mentally insane cult, then we reclaim our power. Then we're not like susceptible to the cancer because it's like, we, we won't try to warp our sense of self based on the warped sense of other people's intimidation and their their hallucinations. So I think on the whole, we need to stop outsourcing, and especially get this message to the kids, we need to stop outsourcing our point of view of ourselves and point of view of the world to other people. But I think if that comes from ourself or even better, that comes from God, we listen and mm -hmm. we think it comes from ourself, but it probably comes from God. We're way more empowered. One of the major shifts that's occurred in our culture, something else I've talked a lot about when I've traveled the country this year is in previous generations, um, success in America was defined by acquisition, achievement, compassion, integrity, and there were different beliefs about taking those things so far, acquisition to the point of materialism and greed, significance to the point of narcissism and ego, compassion to the point of um, let's just open the, the prison cells and let everybody out. But those were many of the cultural arguments we would have the past couple of generations. Those were really the plumb lines of what we deemed a successful life in the West. And then th then how far to take each of them and and and, and what is the proper uh, you know approach or application of those things would often be what divided us morally or politically in the culture. The new sign of success is compliance. I demonstrate that I am compliant with what we like to sometimes call the next current thing. Okay. And you watch this play out since 2020 in the following order. It began with stay home, save lives. It then went to tweeting me out in a, my picture of my mask. It then went to me t uh, tweeting out the picture of my vaccine card.
It then went to me tweeting out the, my Ukrainian flag. It then went to me tweeting out my pronouns, right? That this is a series, you know, we used to mockingly call these things virtue signals, um, but they're, they're far more than that. I mean, you are literally saying, you are, in, you are indicating, I'm one of the good people. I, please give, sh- let, you, let your favor countenance shine upon me, um, that, that I am with you. And compliance is now the number one virtue in America in determining a successful life. And, and you can see this, that people never rose up against COVID. There's a, there were a lot of guys that listened to shows like mine or people like you or people like Joe Rogan, and they made sure they got their, you know, their pretty little princesses in their mask before they took them to Costco right when they got out of the car. That, that, that compliance is the number one virtue in America today. Am I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong, uh, but I think it's um, wrong that compliance actually creates success. I, I think it's incredibly accurate that a lot of people think it does. But if you equate like success is kind of synonymous with strength. So what that's saying is the more compliant you are, the weaker you are becoming. And therefore, to the degree that I I need to be strong, that's the degree I actually need to make myself weak. But instead of acknowledging I'm just making myself weak, Mm -hmm. we make ourselves weak, but we call it strength. We perceive it as strength. So trying to empower yourself with means that are inherently disempowering is just it's a vicious trick we play on ourselves and i people are waking up still a lot more people that need to wake up and realize like oh the the path of success through compliance that literally makes me unsuccessful so wise man once said you can't get out of a jail that you don't know you're in so i mean i my hope my prayer and you know what i try to do what you try to do is help wake people up to recognize this jail of we all want to feel successful and be successful. But if you're using things that literally make you less successful, but you're just calling it success, it's not really a recipe for true success. I want to state, if you're okay with this one exception to this, that I do think there's one area where it is completely okay to go with the next current thing and buy in to the spirit of the age. And it's mainly because it's the one area that I do it. And that is with pumpkin spice. JP, I absolutely love anything pumpkin spice and I am okay. Um, I have the palate of a 12 year old and I'm a plain white girl uh, when it comes to pumpkin spice. So that is one cult that I, I, I do uh, want to affirm and urge other people to join. Uh, I'm going to be divided on this issue with you, Steve. I think you have been <laughs> captured by the pumpkin spice industrial complex. <laughs> we all know the, the statistics that are suppressed on the number of deaths, disease, injuries caused by pumpkin spice. It's just a, a multi-billion dollar industry that has captured you. So... I'll pray for you. And it's never it kept being kept just never tasted so or smelled so good, brother. All right. Last question before we let you go. Um, you know, I love what people like you are doing in this era. You know, there's an old Catholic uh, saying that what the devil hates the most is to be mocked. And I, I love the I love these, you know, the forces, this, what I call the spirit of the age takes it so it takes itself so seriously and wants and wants the world to as well that I love seeing it get mocked. But what with you the last few years? What's the biggest thing that woke you up or lesson that you've learned that puts you on the path right now that you're on? Two things, and they happen pretty simultaneously, and it was March of 2020. 
you know, COVID happens, you know, we're doing 15 days to slow the spread. And right away, I started questioning that, like, well, we're what, what, like at that time for a few days, I thought like the hysteria was real. But I was still like, well, this is, you're, you're doing really unconstitutional things. You're robbing people of freedom. And then, you know, after 15 days, the goalposts move and quickly, this isn't about a virus. And I'm seeing freedoms being eroded in America. For the first time in my lifetime, I was really recognizing that. So that woke me up to realize freedom is my number one value. I didn't know it before because I, I felt entitled to it. I was ignorant, not proud of that, but it's true. So that woke me up and I realized, hey, you can look at historical patterns of tyranny where they erode freedom. You look at where those patterns go and you recognize, or I recognize, we're in one of those patterns. Mm -hmm. And therefore you look at history, it will accurately predict exactly where this will go if we allow it. Now couple that at the same time, that's when I found out my wife was pregnant with our first child. And I mean, that woke up something even deeper in me. And I just like had this just energy came over me where I said, you know, there's a conversation I'm never willing to have one day with my unborn son where I have to explain to him two things. One, what freedom was and two, why his father didn't do anything about it while he had a chance. Mm. And I realized I'm one small voice in the world uh, making maybe a little bit of an impact, but that woke me up to realize like and be more in touch with my heart and I think better guided by God. I, I want to use my voice, my platform to stand up for what's most important, freedom, and what's being extremely threatened right now. So. March of 2020 was a really big wake-up call and complete shifting of my mission. Amen. Amen, brother. Pick it up. His children's book, Chomp, Chomp, Chop, the Snap Fest, Snap Fast Challenge, actually. Snap Fast Challenge. And, of course, you've seen his clips on our show numerous times over the last few years. Uh, J.P. Sears, uh, God bless you, brother. It's a pleasure to finally get you on, and we definitely want to do it again sometime. All right? Take care. I'd love that. See you, Steve. See you later, man. Gentlemen, let's get uh, your thoughts on that conversation. What'd you think? Well, he has been, you know, one of the brightest lights since 2020 in terms of input into my data banks. I had never heard of a JP Sears uh, uh, before then. Um, but, you know, listen, he, he does it from a comedic perspective, but what he's engaging in is nothing short of what has been done since before the time of Christ, Socratic dialogue. When he talks about cr critical thinking, what, what does that mean? It means that you know, the, the smartest person in the room is the person who knows what he does not know. Mm -hmm. Does that come close to describing uh, our, our modern slate of college graduates who, who define themselves through all of their credentialism and degrees as the best, shiniest, smartest people in the room and then must affirm that through what Steve laid out for you, making sure you check all the right boxes. They do. It's the exact opposite of Socratic dialogue. And it is, as he said, this is the important part. The math will never add up. It is destined to fail. The only question is, how much are our children going to hurt for it? Imagine if there were just 10%, 5% of the population of the United States and the younger generations 
that had the reaction that he did to those two events that shaped where he is now and the path that he's on, what happened with COVID and finding out that you're going to be a daddy. Imagine, imagine just 10% of the population waking up like he did, like he says that he did. Imagine how quickly things would change. They would change real fast. I pray there are more people. I think there are more people, but there needs, as he said, there needs to be a lot more who really don't, don't become woke, but become awake to the current circumstances and what's really being done to our way of life. Amen. We'll come back. Hour two is next. Stay tuned. All right, back here with Hour 2, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin. He's Aaron McIntyre. You are you. And you can let us know what you think about what we think by emailing the show. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. And don't forget... If you are a podcast listener, we'd love to look and find your five-star review. We're approaching 10,000 reviews, most of them, like over 90% of them, five stars on iTunes, which is a little more than two-thirds of the podcast market right now. And just goes to show there is no accounting for taste if we're that well-liked. But nevertheless... Keep proving the algorithms wrong. We appreciate all of you that have done that. Hit subscribe, or if you're on iTunes, follow. And that will make sure that every single new episode we do shows up in your feed every single time that we do one. And thank you to all of you that have done those things as well. This portion of the show brought to you by our friends over at Jace Medical. You know, they have been... Uh, such a trusted partner over the last year plus since they came on board. But uh, right now, they want to meet and they want, they want to help you meet an immediate need uh, that's just very practical. Uh, we have critical shortages of essential drugs because somebody, uh, you know, just one big happy globalist family here. So somebody thought it was a great idea to have China manufacture about 80 plus percent of the world's antibiotics. So um, and this could cause severe disruptions in medical treatments resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, maybe even the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. So what they're doing now with the Jace case is it's customizable now. You can customize your Jace case with potentially dozens of add-on medications to make sure you've got a backup of your existing medications right now when you go to jacemedical.com. J-A-S-E for jacemedical.com. And some of you keep asking. So yes, one of the medications you can select for your Jace case is ivermectin, by the way. JaceMedical.com. Enter the code DACE at checkout for discount on your order. Jace Medical, J-A-S-E, JaceMedical.com. Code DACE at checkout for a discount on your order at JaceMedical.com. Let's welcome in Ken Cuccinelli. He was the border czar for the Trump administration, but now he is backing Trump's chief rival for the nomination, Ron DeSantis. We'll talk about that, but also have a much broader conversation about what is happening at the border at the exact same time. It is always good to see you, Ken. How are you? Better than America. How are you, Steve? Indeed, that is very true. I am uh, also better than America, although some people uh, may dispute that, but we'll leave that up to them. Then they need to take a closer look at America. 
<laughs> yes, indeed we do. So, so let's do that then, sir, if you don't mind. What exactly is happening at the border and why? Let's start there. Wow. Uh, that is asked so simply, but uh, a lot of things are happening that all flow from what's not happening, and that is any enforcement of our sovereign borders uh, by the Biden administration. That is an intentional policy. Uh, for those who are interested, it is a policy that has been disfavored, just according to polling, by Democrat voters since two months after Biden came into office. So this is not just a Democrat policy in the sense of everybody who votes that way. This is a radical left-wing open borders policy. And it's part of a mentality that says America is no better than anywhere else in the world. And uh, we're, we're elitist for enforcing a border and so forth. These are people who, who don't believe in American first principles and want to undermine America and those principles. And part of that is the open border policy. And it's been a disaster, not just for the border areas, but all across the country. I do have to laugh at people like Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, who, you know, mouths the uh, virtue signaling of the left over sanctuary cities and welcoming everybody until he gets about, oh, two days worth of illegal flow of illegal aliens. And then he's screaming uncle, in this case, Uncle Joe. And, um, and they can't handle it. They can't take it. Um, of course, what they do about it is unbelievable. Um, you know, setting up these rather grand arrangements for illegals, um, including in places like Philadelphia, displacing people from hotels, <laughs> renting out hotels. Uh, they have no idea what to do with these folks. Now, the obvious answer is avoid the problem in the first place, but they didn't have the wisdom to lean on their own team to do that. So we get more crime, we get more human trafficking, we get terrorists coming over the border. We have, uh, we have monetized our border, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the most evil, vicious people in the Western Hemisphere, the Mexican drug cartels. They own that border from the southern side and they kill to control it. It is, uh, we're causing a lot of damage through a good chunk of the hemisphere. We're destabilizing Mexico even further mm -hmm. as, as if it needed that. And um, I, think, uh, I think even Democrats are coming around to the value of a decent border policy. And decent border policy means actually enforcing your border. Can you walk us through where things stand today compared to where they stood during the Trump administration and why, how, what was what was the level of progress that the Trump administration did on this issue to prevent a future eventuality like this, given that it was really the issue that, that launched Donald Trump from a novelty act as a candidate uh, into the, into a for, into a force of nature. So what was done during that administration to prevent this sort of a moment from ever occurring? So uh, we were very strong on illegal immigration. I want to differentiate the two. 
um, in the Trump administration. However, you asked the question in an interesting way. Uh, what we did was relatively short term. It was immediate. Now, some of that is always the case. Do you or do you not have the will to stop people from coming in? Do you or do you not have the will to deport people? Well, honestly, the Trump administration uh, deported fewer people and at a slower rate than the Obama administration. So can, can you say that again and explain how that is even remotely possible? So, well, Trump really, <laughs> this may be hard to believe, but in infinite moments or finite moments, he didn't want people to think he was mean. <laughs> you wouldn't necessarily know that the way he behaves most of the time, but he called off ICE operations. ICE, for your listeners, viewers, is uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement. That's who deports people who don't belong here. The Border Patrol stops them at the border, but if they come in, then it's ICE that removes them, And if, if that ever happens. And we had several operations canceled by the president. Um, he was not enthusiastic about, let me put it differently. He was extremely sensitive to being attacked over deporting people, families, because you're always going to get the pictures, as we always did, of children crying at schools and so forth um, when you arrest their parents at the local factory where they were illegally hired in the first place. Um, however, interestingly, Americans sweep in and happily take those jobs. And uh, that is what we found in the one big operation we did in Mississippi, over 600 arrests. And one of the squawks was uh, about the families. And I understand that there are real people involved here. But these real people made a decision to really break our law and, and invade our country. So Donald Trump was not aggressive or enthusiastic about deporting people. And the numbers speak for themselves. Um, some folks have fought with me over it, but I can show you the data that make it very clear. The deportations went at a faster pace in the Obama administration than they did in the Trump administration, period. Did he not also offer the Democrats essentially a record-breaking amnesty deal via DACA? Yeah, in 2018, well, not just via DACA, um, but in, I guess it was part of the deal, but in 2018, um, he expressly endorsed a, a, an amnesty bill. And of course, it had some Republican support, the usual Paul Ryan types, but um, uh, people were aghast given how he campaigned in 2016 that he was so casual about just agreeing to amnesty for millions of illegal aliens and um, you know it was just as he viewed it just part of making a deal and he just wanted to get a deal done well some people actually cared about what might be in the deal and uh, thankfully that was stopped as often happens in the Senate and um, and that was thwarted. I mean, that was a you know, that was a Trump, Paul Ryan, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer cabal there to try to pull that one off. And it didn't work, thankfully. Um, but we did on the illegal alien front when I was there in 2019 and 2020, we did aggressively stop folks at the border. I came in literally at the peak 
invasion point, May of 2019, about 150,000 people crossed the southern border, and we expanded, remain in Mexico dramatically at that point, <clears throat> began taking other aggressive stances to drive those numbers down. By the end of the summer, we'd cut those numbers in about half. They're still way too big. I mean, when you're talking 50, 60,000, 70,000 people a month, I'd remind folks that Obama's Secretary of Homeland Security said a thousand coming across in a day was crisis level. And we got it down to only about 2,500 a day or 2,000 a day by the end of that summer in 2019. What really knocked the numbers down eventually was COVID and using public health authority to literally turn people around at the border and put them immediately back into Mexico. In other words, a temporary emergency, nothing long term that would have actually addressed the eventuality of the issue. That's right. And, you know, you saw a lot of Republicans try to make it sort of a permanent arrangement, which I'd be fine with. Mm -hmm. But um, the reality is they ought to just strip out so much of the processing burden on the government to keep illegal people out. First of all, there should be no issue for anyone coming in between what are called the legal ports of entry. It will surprise no one to know that there are legal entryways into the United States, every international airport, every international seaport, and then our land ports. Between all of those together, there's over 300 legal points of entry into the United States. And in between those on the southern border are, of course, hundreds of miles of open border, or by open, I simply mean there's no legal port of entry. And if you cross in from Mexico there, you're entering illegally. You're invading the United States, as far as I'm concerned. And, um, and that is what we were fairly aggressive in confronting and was much easier to deal with when you could literally take them right back across the border. Mm -hmm. And when Mexico knows that these people aren't just crossing their country, but they're going to get stuck in their country, well, then Mexico starts to defend its southern border, which, by the way, is a whole lot easier to defend just because it's so small than our 2,000-mile border with Mexico. You've been drawing distinctions with illegal immigration, which takes us to the question of legal immigration. And this has come up a lot the last few weeks with DeSantis talking about people people should don't have a right to be here. We should be deporting people uh, who clearly are aligned with those who are, are enemies of the United States. Um, and And that can also maybe lead to a broader conversation about how much legal immigration do we really have to import for jobs? When, and is it really that those are technical jobs Americans can't do or that Americans might not be willing to do at the price point that maybe bringing somebody from another country would be willing to do them? But you would be uniquely qualified to answer all of those issues. So what are the answers? So let's start with the last one, the technical, like people with tech skills. These are H-1B visas. Um, they were invented essentially to be super high-tech, unique skill type workers. And frankly, that was probably a lie at the outset. They nearly immediately became commodity IT workers. Um, 
You have specialty firms that literally just import people from India to do IT network work, and they displace middle-class American jobs. Um, when that was not deemed enough, then they, without any laws, set up via regulation, again, with no statutory basis, um, other programs out of college, OPT is the most common, which is uh, professional training, supposedly. But all that becomes is a holding spot for H-1B visas. So we end up denying American citizen college graduates. Let me say it differently. We introduce foreign competitors to our own college graduate citizens in addition to the kind of competitors with our middle-class workers I described in, say, the IT space. There are other spaces too, but that's a big one um, in terms of numbers. And of course it drives wages down. And if you're that foreign employee, you are essentially a serf and you are treated like a serf. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're paid a 40-hour-a-week wage, but who are you going to complain to? These jobs are, I'm sorry, these visas are literally tied to the job. If you're let go from the job, you leave the country. And so they will do anything to stay in the job and in the position. And the employers, of course, take full advantage of that and work them like slaves while having removed one or two American job opportunities from the labor market for perfectly qualified middle-class Americans. Now, coming across the southern border, we have a massive unskilled labor force. Who does that really screw? It screws American poor people because it dumps a millions of competitors into their part of the economic labor market, holding down their wages and taking up their job opportunities. That is not fair. Uh, it is not right. It's illegal, uh, and it has massive consequences. One of the things that Donald Trump didn't even realize until I told him um, was at the end of 2019, so right before COVID rolled around, uh, we reached the lowest poverty rate in history up to that time ever recorded. And uh, you'll recall the talk at that time about the low black unemployment rate mm -hmm. and the low Hispanic unemployment mm -hmm. rate, which was all great. Um, but what really was outstanding, in my view, was how American poor people could work their way up the ladder that, that year and under those circumstances because we were enforcing the law and keeping their labor pool from being flooded with market competitors. So, yes, companies had to raise their wages. That's a good thing to pay poor American people more money. I am fine with that. That's the way the economy is supposed to work. It also gives them a reason to work and get off the couch, get off welfare, and get into the labor force. And part of what's happening with the Biden administration and just throwing the gates open is all of those incentives are gone because they're devaluing the work at the lowest end of our economic scale. They're not respecting the dignity of that work by American poor people. And that has immense economic and cultural consequences. You tried to bring these legal immigration issues to the president's attention. 
and try yeah. to curb some of these incentives to, uh, to disabuse the legal immigration system. What was his reaction to that? Uh, I, I found that I had more people to fight in Trump's White House, including Trump, uh, on these issues than I did, you know, on Capitol Hill. Um, and this was something he ran on, and I felt like I was just attempting to implement his agenda. And I'll give you an example. The H-1B visas I just mentioned to you, mm -hmm. they're tech visas. But because they're supposedly transient, but for your viewers, what really happens is the H-1B visa is a holding place for people to get in the line of U.S. citizenship, to get a green card. And... Um, much as I told you that OPT program for college, foreign college graduates that competes with American college graduates is a holding pool for H-1Bs. You get the idea. Each of these pools is just being made bigger and bigger, and it makes it harder and harder for Americans to work. Well, one of the things that happens because these are supposedly transient visas is they are not taxed Social Security or Medicare taxes. The companies that hire them don't pay, you know, if a company hires you, they pay 7%, I'm using rough numbers, for Social Security and Medicare taxes, and you pay 7%. I'm self-employed, so I pay the whole thing. Um, but that means that these workers were 15% cheaper for American companies to hire than American employees. Let that sink in, folks. We have set up a system where we don't tax companies for using foreign workers, where we do tax them for using American workers. Crazy. After three tries, Trump finally agreed, yeah, we got to fix this. So because it's a tax thing, the Department of Homeland Security couldn't do it. But here's one of my problems with President Trump, is his complete lack of follow through so often. Um, he doesn't prepare well and he doesn't follow through well. He often decides well. DeSantis, who you noted I'm supporting, prepares well, decides well, and follows through. So the follow through on this was, okay, Ken, you tell Mnuchin to go do it. Mnuchin, for those who don't remember that name, was the Secretary of the Treasury in the administration. We referred to him as President Mnuchin, not favorably. Needless to say, he wouldn't answer my phone calls. It took, and mind you, I was a deputy secretary of DHS, and I couldn't get the secretary of the treasury on the phone. The deputy secretary eventually responded, and they never did anything about it. They had to pass a regulation to make this change and to make it permanent. Um, your question about permanence. Mm -hmm. And they never lifted a finger. So I went back to the president and dutifully reported that. And his response was, oh, that was it. He's just defeated. Can everybody knows a president is powerless? Yeah. Well, and I mean. Everyone knows we, this. We also know we didn't take on the drug cartels. Never. You, you all know that. I don't have to educate you on that because you never saw a single piece of news anywhere about us taking on the cartels. That's because we didn't. And I pushed the president very, very hard to do this. It takes a lot of different agencies to do this. And, and he just moaned and, and whined about it. Oh, Esper won't want to do it. Esper was the secretary of defense, his secretary of defense. And I said, Mr. President, he works for you. Order him to do it. 
and this conversation was after the um, Mormon mothers and children were slaughtered in northern Mexico in November of 2019. And, and he was furious about it. I was furious about it. But he wouldn't do anything about it. He wouldn't do anything about it. That complete lack of follow through, um, you know, was an eye opener for me. It was like when he said, you know, the whole campaign, we're going to prosecute Hillary and days after the campaign, oh, no, she's a nice lady. We're not going to do that. And now he complains about a double standard. Well, when he was in charge of the standard, he let people off the hook. So, um, you know, that that it also makes you wonder what other things is he promising? For instance, he promised to balance the budget and he gave us more debt than any other president in history. Um, what other promises aren't going to come through? Whereas DeSantis famously has accomplished 100 percent of his gubernatorial promises. Show me another chief executive in America that's done that. Final question. How much. I'll just ask it. How much do you think the American right truly cares about governing? Um, not a great deal. Uh, there are many of us that care a great deal. But if you're, you're putting everybody in a pot um, and averaging it all out, there seems to be a disturbingly high interest in the pizzazz, the show, and the fight um, instead of getting things done. And um, of course, then they complain about not getting things done. But look, this is a this is a whole process, folks. If you don't pay attention, yes, you have to fight. You have to fight. You have to win elections. You have to get there. But then you have to move agenda items, like DeSantis has done in Florida. Literally every conservative principled issue um, across the spectrum, DeSantis has significantly moved the needle in our direction. Um, and um, and at a time with COVID raging, when freedom itself was at stake in ways that we've never seen before. So it, I, I am concerned about that. Uh, you know, you see, you see it in Washington. We're all still wondering about Mike Johnson, who has served for seven years, right, Steve? Mm -hmm. um, not seven terms. Um, and... Um, <laughs> Uh, He's been so know, nondescript, I couldn't remember if it was years or terms. I kept screwing it up. I, well, yeah. you know, it, it is interesting. It's, it's not the way I would ever get chosen for anything, but not offending anyone seems to have gotten him there. But, you know, his first, at least, I, I don't know why Israel needs $14 billion of our dollars. I doubt that they do. Um, but at least this speaker brought it forward with cuts from other parts of the already existing mm -hmm. budget. Mm-hmm in this case, from the IRS, mm -hmm. to me, that is astonishingly refreshing. I mean, for all of our many problems, folks, um, uh, hear me now, believe me later, the biggest single threat <laughs> to the United States long term is the accumulation of debt. We are digging ourselves a hole so deep mathematically that it may not be possible to get out of it. If we started balancing our budgets, by the way, it would be a massive strategic advantage over China because they are out of balance too, and they have a demographic problem that's much worse than our demographic problem that will surface over the next 30 years. So we get our house in order and they don't. 
um, then the race to who's going to be on top for the next hundred years, we will win it that way. How about that? Winning a race by frugality. But I don't see, you know, on the right, they talk about it a lot, Steve, and they love talking about it. I still, the example I use is Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell ran 36,000 ads against Obamacare in October of 2014 alone. One year after he fought harder against Ted Cruz and Mike Lee to stop them from stopping Obamacare than he had ever fought against any Democrat over anything except campaign finance. <laughs> hmm. I mean, he fights with us more. The same was true of Paul Ryan, yep. of Kevin McCarthy, yep. of John Boehner. Uh, you know, this is th this is who gets picked to lead. Now, hopefully Mike Johnson will be different. But, um, you know, the leadership of the of the right of center world has been interested in holding power and not accomplishing much out of fear of offending anyone. And again, back to the DeSantis example. I mean, he did everything, life, guns, taxes, debt, schools, attacking the woke mob, putting parents back in control, school choice, attacking corporations like Disney and Big Sugar that were uh, throwing their political weight around. And what happened? He won women, independents, Hispanic voters. He won Miami-Dade County by double digits, a county that Hillary Clinton won in 2016 by 30 points. They won the school board in Miami-Dade County. So, you know, this is a guy who's shown that conservative principles sell if you're not afraid of actually not just preparing and deciding and passing them, but then forcing them into actual implementation and stand up and explain the benefits to ordinary people in your state. And he has done that spectacularly well, was rewarded with the biggest landslide victory in a swing state in the United States in history, folks, history of the whole country, biggest swing state win ever. And uh, that was done on a straight conservative constitutionalist uh, agenda that he pushed through proudly explained, defended, and now is taking that vision nationwide. That is well said, brother. Thank you for joining us, Ken. Great stuff. My pleasure. Good Keep to be it. with you. Good to always be see good. you. Yep, you too. We'll come back. It'll be fake news or not when we return. Stay tuned. Well, my column today over at The Blaze, if you want to read it, the brand new Blaze news, by the way, at theblaze.com. Uh, my column today is about a wholly unprepared for the post-row world pro-life movement. But thankfully, one place that was prepared uh, was our friends over, is our friends over at Preborn. Uh, they have already been fighting the battle for the sanctity of life, literally heart to heart, mom to mom. Uh, on a very local level where the battle now is raging the hottest. And here's what they have found. Um, about 80% of the time when a mom in crisis, why do I use that description? Because chances are if you're a woman in a fulfilling, secure relationship, you're not looking to have an abortion. It's the women who don't have those things and are pregnant that are. And when a mom in crisis is confronted with the reality that that human being that she is carrying is another person with its own distinct heartbeat. 
And she hears that via that ultrasound. About 80% of the time, she does not go through with killing her child. So that's great. But they also know that this woman is still in crisis, still needs help. So uh, they also provide both pre and postnatal care, even up to and including counseling. All of this ultrasounds free, counseling free, pre postnatal care, car seats, all of it for free, provided they've got funding, tax-deductible donations from people like us. And if you'd like to make one, now is the time. Preborn.com slash Steve is where you want to go. You, 28 bucks is all one of those ultrasounds cost. I mean, would you would you spend 28 bucks, invest 28 bucks with 80% odds to save a life? I, I know in this audience, the answer to that is yes for a lot of you. So preborn.com slash Steve is where you want to go. Preborn.com slash Steve or dial pound 250 and use the keyword baby on your mobile phone. Before we get to fake news or not, I want to get to Todd and Aaron, your thoughts on the conversation we just had with Ken Cuccinelli doing a deep dive on the border with the Trump administration did and did not uh, do not do well and what's happening right now. And then vis-a-vis how that translates into why he chose the horse that he did in this presidential election. I've never been more disappointed in Ken Cuccinelli. Not one time did he mention Ron DeSantis's cowboy boots. Not one time. Are we serious or aren't we? Well, Ken appears to be serious. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's truly, for those of you that aren't on Twitter, this is some of the most effeminate beta stuff I've ever seen. From the, the Bronze Age, you know, everybody's got to lift weights till they're 75 and, uh, and, and tell the women folk who's boss crowd are out there. Those people are still completely obsessed with Ron DeSantis' footwear, but I'll, I'll let you continue your point. No, Go ahead. I, I bring that especially it's important considering it's the border issue the issue that elevated Donald Trump as something other than a novelty act. Weren't sure exactly where this thing was going, um, but there was a bit uh, an obvious, anybody who is serious is that this has captured the imagination of people who are starving for an alternative. Take it all the way to everything can laid out for you and beyond the rhetoric there was almost no there there and so now here in this moment far more people seem to be triangulating in a way that's opposite of the three of us can etc to like well i i was serious all along were you other people, I, I don't, they're, they're gone full Joaquin Phoenix Joker. I I don't believe in anything. I'm just happy to finally be on the show. I, the, the, the question, well, Steve, you just said, I guess I'll just ask it, is uh, do, does the right believe in governing? Is there such a thud on the other end of that question? Because we all damn well know the answer and it isn't good. One of the major complaints from Iowa Hawkeye football fans for the past couple of seasons specifically is when we watch our quarterback, whether it's Spencer Petras last year or Deacon Hill this year, go out and lay wet fart after wet fart performances. What's wrong with the backup quarterback? And the coach's response is always, 
Well, we just go and we evaluate off of what they do in practice and, and make our decision from there. And that's why we don't put the backup quarterback in. Now, do any of us get to see what's going on at practice? No, we don't have access to that. But if you took the coach's word for it, they're winning the Heisman in practice. But when they go out on the field, we, when we get to see that access, we have access to that. When they go out on the playing field, it's a wet fart. When Ken was talking about the lack of follow through, he was, he was letting us in on practice. He was letting us see how the sausage was made. Mm-hmm. But if you're, go- if, you're not, if you're not going to perform when you're out there on the field, on the gridiron, get somebody else in there who can actually do the damn job. But no, no. We've, we've got to talk about uh, cowboy boots for the 500th time this morning and counting. We don't have time. My son doesn't have time. Anastasia's uh, baby that's on the way does not have time for these games. All of your kids don't have time for this. The thing that stood out to me is he described, you know, there's a, again, a thought, was COVID how things always operated in the Trump White House? Or was that a unique panic situation? The idea of... um, a president who just seems either unwilling or unable to get his staff to mold them into a message and everybody's just off kind of doing their own thing. Everybody's got their own little fiefdom. And basically, I mean, Scott Atlas in his book that we started studying at the beginning of last year basically depicts Donald Trump in the final year of his presidency as a kept man. I don't know how else to describe it. He's basically being humored by Jared Kushner. He's you know, given TVs in the in the in the West Wing to watch his favorite cable news shows and what they're saying about him, while you know the bureaucracy goes out there and and does the governing and makes the decisions. And Atlas is brought in and keeps being told not to rock the boat. That's essentially what we just Ken Cuccinelli just described. And so this was all happening pre-COVID. So this that's also what Ken Cuccinelli also described. You know, and so you have to ask yourself. Where where's the staffing to run a government going to come from if indeed Donald Trump were to avoid 91 felony indictments, not to mention his own favorability rating and get reelected again. But that's a that's a topic for another day. And a day when I'm kind of in the mood to just go ahead and see how few people we can get to download a podcast. I get in those moods sometimes just out of spite. So I'm sure that day will eventually come. All right, let's get to fake news or not. Brought to you by our friends over at Relief Factor. If you're dealing with pain from time to time, and not just the pain that we cause you, but the pain that is in your joints from too much inflammation in the body, Relief Factor could be your solution. In fact, we think there's about 70% odds that it might be because 70% of the time, those who try the three-week quick start for just 20 bucks end up sticking around long-term because of the results they see in three weeks or less from Relief Factor. Drug-free, but created by physicians who can prescribe drugs. It's a great way to reduce pain, and we think it'll work for you. So give it a shot. What do you have to lose for 20 bucks? See if you don't see a significant difference in your pain level in three weeks or less with the trial pack at relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. Or you can call them 800, the number four relief, 800, the number four relief. Fake news or not presented this week by my oldest daughter, Anastasia. Good to see you, princess. How you been? 
good. There's a lot of work that goes into preparing to have a baby. You have to make a lot of mental notes in your head, and then there's a lot of work after that baby as well. And there's much more work that goes into <laughs> so, actually raising that baby. So yes. times are interesting, and time is moving too fast. And as, as, <laughs> as time goes on, you know what you're going to find? Mom and dad were a lot smarter than I thought. You're going to find that too. But I'll never admit it. You'll never admit it, but I'm sure we'll have those conversations <laughs> later on. All right. What do you got for us? So it's funny that you asked me to do this because my husband, Stephen, and I had just watched a video recently put out by the YouTube channel Jubilee. So they put out different videos. Um, so they'll give different prompts. So for this video, it was alpha males versus beta males. So um, the prompt... Which so, side is it that talks about another man's footwear on Twitter for weeks? The alpha male or the beta male? Beta male I'm not sure. But anyway, go ahead. So they do... Throughout the video, they'll have different prompts. And then when... Depending on if the alpha male or the beta male agrees, they have them step forward and discuss. And so I picked a specific prompt and then I sent Aaron a couple short clips to kind of show you what their reasoning was behind this prompt. So the prompt is, men are designed to want to sleep with multiple women. And this kind of put Steven and I, like we were having a conversation about it as well. Um, just because then when Jesus came, he was like marriage is between one man and one woman and kind of like really set that precedence in stone. And so we were talking about like, so are men differently designed now than they were? So we were kind of having this whole conversation. So I thought I'd show you a couple clips of what they okay. were saying. All right. And, and we're deciding if their clips are fake news or not. And you're deciding, yeah, if the clips are fake news or not. And if the, if the prompt men are designed to sleep with multiple women is fake news or not. Okay. But the question is, is, is that the end point? is being with multiple women the end point. I'm of the firm belief that it is important to position yourself as a man to have the capacity to be with as many women as you possibly can and position yourself in a way where you understand female nature and you maximize your potential as a man. And that's where I don't necessarily agree that just because there's a deeper desire to continue to do it means it's going to be the most optimal thing for you and your own ability to thrive at the highest level and connect with God here on earth. Do you want the next one as well? Yeah, so go ahead yeah. with the next one. Right, and th the thing with me, I'm, you know, I'm not monogamous, so I have, I have a wife, I have a girlfriend, and I still, you know, from time to time, hook up with other girls. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, and the thing is, it's, it, it feels regular to me. It doesn't feel like I'm trying to do it or, or, or doing it because I'm forcing myself. It just feels just natural, like it's something I want to do. You know what I mean? And so to not do it feels unnatural. You might just want this one moment for a relationship. I, I can understand that. But sexually, though, I, I think it's all BS. So now you want us to answer whether we think it's fake news or not? Yes, if what they're saying is fake news or not, and if you think men are designed to want to sleep with multiple women. I, I, I do not believe men are designed to want to sleep with multiple women. I, I do not believe that is the design. The designer said... For this reason, a husband will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That, those are the words of the designer. Now, what happened after those words were spoken? What occurred? Sin entered into the world. And so it is the natural impulse of man in his natural sinful state. There's a reason you can always tell what's what is natural for us to do in our sinful state. The scriptures won't ever bother to tell you to do those things. The scripture does not tell you when you're thirsty to drink water. It does not tell you when you're hungry to eat food. It doesn't tell you when you're tired to sleep. 
Those are all things that we will do naturally in our sinful state. The scriptures tells us, tell us to do things that are unnatural for us in our sinful state. Don't steal from other people. Don't be jealous and covet other people's things. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, stay married to your wife. Take care of your children. Um, work. If you don't, you're an infidel. These are things that are unnatural to us. And so those are the things in our sinful state. Those are the things that the scriptures command us to do. So the, the, there's a missing link here, I think, to this conversation, guys, that I will say, therefore, makes the whole thing fake news that we have to deal with what is the natural state of man. The reason why that guy says I'm fine sinning is because that's the natural state of man. That, that's what it is. All right. What's not natural um, is when we are is, is when we choose not to act on our natural instincts and to follow the spirit instead. So what's missing, the missing link of this conversation is, is it is, is the sinful state that men are born into. Yeah. So the second clip of that guy, that was where I was going to go with this, of the guy talking about, you know, it doesn't feel weird to me. It feels uh, natural. Uh, you know, uh, it feels unnatural to not act on my impulses and all I heard was uh, Benjamin it's time to go to bed no no bed no bed that that's what that clip was because you're right in the fallen state of man what feels natural our hearts are bent towards evil that's what that's what feels natural mm -hmm. and that's what we need a savior for for that's what we need the Holy Spirit for. That's what we need sanctification for. So the only thing that's true in that in those series of clips there is the second guy saying, hey, this just feels natural. Well, mm -hmm. yes, it does, because you're unregenerate. Mm -hmm. Todd, do you want to chime in on this real quick before I have to get to our final uh, uh, live read? I was prepared to say it was uh, all true news because... They, uh, they were just simply espousing um, Darwinian education. I mean, it's a, a it was a pure fulfillment, except for the first guy actually brings up God. Mm -hmm. He enters God into the conversation, which takes it immediately to where you took it, Steve. You mm -hmm. can't pick one. That's that's all I have to say. You you are fake news. Don't. This has absolutely nothing to do with God. It has everything to do with his absence. You, you don't get to hijack him for whatever form fuzzy you want to on this front. Let me say one more thing about this after I tell you about our friends over at Constitution Wealth. They are the Patriots' choice in wealth management. If you avoid shopping at businesses that are out to destroy your worldview, are you making sure you don't invest in them at the exact same time? Our friends at Constitution Wealth can help you. Um, they can help to make sure that your principles align with your portfolio, that you can now both profit while being a profit. Small p, of course. All right, so uh, start voting your shareholder votes with conservative action at the top of these woke companies. Reduce investments in woke corporations. Fight the culture war with your most powerful weapon, your investment portfolio, and help build the parallel economy by working with Constitution Wealth Management. All right, and if you want to get hooked up with them, get a free consultation today at constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. Again, that's constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. Steve, once again, constitutionwealth.com slash Steve. One more thing I see in that clip, Princess, and I've not seen the whole clip, so I may be taking it out of context, okay? But the, the first gentleman that brings up God, he does so in a very benign way. He does so in a way that says, well, you know, I don't think that's what's best for me, and I'm not, that's not really what I'm going to follow. And, mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and 
he does so in a way that doesn't make anybody else in that clip uncomfortable. Right. It's it's a it, it's a very it's quite the metaphor for the modern church. All right. Um, where, where sin is discussed, but not in a way that makes anybody feel uncomfortable. Pretty beta male thing to do. Yes. 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 Yeah. You know? And so right after that, that, the other guy has no problem saying, Hey, I mean, I'm tapping everything I can possibly get my hands on and I feel great. Okay. No conscience is pricked. No one is confronted. No one's made uncomfortable. And, and that's why they put Jesus on a cross guys. He didn't make anybody uncomfortable. Didn't prick any consciences, didn't confront anybody. They arrested him just because just he presented, you know, his thoughts in a very benign abstract that kind of was left up to you to decide whether you thought so or and you can just go full YOLO if you didn't. That that's why they did they arrested him, right? Because that's how he behaved. Everybody was comfortable around him all the time. No. No wonder we're losing the culture. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.